This episode of Manage Smarter is presented by Sales Fuel Coach, our adaptive sales coaching featuring five-minute quick coaching personalized to each sales rep. Learn more about Sales Fuel Coach at salesfuel.com. Welcome to the Manage Smarter Podcast with hosts C. Lee Smith and Audrey Strong. We're glad you're here for discussions on new ways to manage smarter, hire, develop, and retain talent, improve results, and propel team performance to new heights. This is the Manage Smarter Podcast. Our guest today, Lee, he says we all need a digital technology survival kit so our businesses can survive all this social distancing. I think this is going to be great. I think so too. Social distancing and regardless of what happens with the coronavirus is not something that's going to be going away anytime soon. And so it's going to be great to get some some tips on how uh, this can help us get past all the social distancing and some of the disruptive changes that have happened since, since the virus. Absolutely. Welcome to Manage Smarter, everyone. I'm Audrey Strong, Vice President of Communications here at SalesFuel. And I'm C. Lee Smith, the President and CEO of SalesFuel. That's right. So Frank Sanguini is our guest and he has um, a great way of sort of organizing this and breaking it out so everybody can easily understand what they need to do. President and CEO Applied Visions, Inc. Applied Visions helps businesses build and expand their digital relationship with customers across all available digital channels. AVI develops products and services using technologies from the cloud, so Frank definitely knows what he's talking about, um, from desktop to mobile, and even down to the device level with the Internet of Things to maintain seamless, continuous connections with the customers. Frank founded AVI with an intense focus on building applications that delight customers and drive revenue. And so, Frank, welcome. Thank you for coming to the show. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure to be with you guys. This is great. All right. So what is, first things first, before we go by industry, you wrote this sure. great article. What should the digital technology survival kit contain? What it needs to contain is a way for your customers. And by customers, I mean either consumers or business partners or whoever you're doing business mm-hmm. with needs to be able to work with you through all of the digital channels that people have come to expect to be able to do anything. Uh, there's, a, there's huge expectations now in the, in the marketplace of, over how businesses behave digitally. And when I say digital, as you went through in, the, in that, that great introduction you gave, it's your website, it's your mobile app, it's maybe even your product itself that has an internet connection. It's all the different channels through which your customers pretty much demand to be able to work with you. Got it. That makes sense. So individuals to each business. Yep. So, so by industry, um, there, you put it into three buckets, um, service, uh, you know, industries, service companies, product companies, and experience-based companies. Mm-hmm. Which one do you want to talk about first? Uh, well, I think we should probably start out with product businesses because I think that's the way most people relate to the world. It's actually very mm-hmm. interesting because we are becoming increasingly a service economy. But it's, oh, I always find it interesting to start out talking about products because most, pe- most people think about their lives as interacting with products. And then they realize about halfway through that what they're really describing is a service. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but a product company, somebody who is selling a thing, a, a tangible item, uh, you know, historically, they may not have even thought about digital relationships with people. If you're selling something, you know, food or, or clothing or or cars or anything, you, there's always a personal component, there's always a physical connectivity to the product and to people, you want the customers coming into your store, and that's all wonderful when it happens. We're in a situation right now where that's not happening, but we were kind of headed in this direction anyway, before mm-hmm. all of this happened. You know, you saw companies like Carvana letting you buy cars over the internet and they would drop them off at your house. You, you've yeah. seen companies already going 
in this direction because you've seen consumers demanding that they go in this direction. That's just been accelerated, accelerated by the yeah. unfortunate events of, of, of the current uh, situation. And it's not going to come back. I mean, people will eventually go back into stores, of course. Uh, that's, that's not so much the point as it is that that growing demand for a digital relationship with your company and with your product has been accelerated and is not going to abate once things come back to something resembling normal. Uh, so that means your, your relationship with your customer extends way beyond the boundaries of whatever product you've sold them. It's how, does, how do they continue to deal with you to get support for that product? How do they answer questions about that product? Uh, how do they shop for it in the first place? How do they learn about it? And in many cases, when they own the product, how does that product itself participate in that relationship? I've got a GM vehicle with uh, OnStar in it that reminds me when I need service. It lets me know when things are available. It gives me a monthly diagnostic report on my car telling me that one of my tires needs air. My car is now part of my day-to-day -day life and part of my relationship, and I have an ongoing relationship with General Motors because the car is participating. Um, how many people today have smart thermostats that they can check over their, the internet on their phone and program remotely? And it's almost the point now where you sort of take that for granted. Anybody with a physical product needs to at least look at that product and say, how do I want to interact with my customer about this product or even through this product beyond the way I'm used to doing it? And if I'm selling cheese, that cheese is not gonna go onto the internet of things, of course. Mm -hmm. But I might still want to have some avenue to my customers that's maybe a little more uh, sophisticated than just a website, but some way that I can invite them into the shop remotely to learn about maybe some new products that I've gotten. Maybe I'm going to have a guest lecture uh, with a cheesemonger from some school. Mm -hmm. You have to think about the broader relationship with your customer that is around your product and not just about the product itself. I have an awkward relationship with Siri. <laughs> well, it's interesting because <laughs> th that's an interesting observation. I, I, I personally am not a big fan of these, <laughs> these home devices for all kinds of reasons. Um, and I don't consider, so Siri, I would consider a service, by the way, uh, mm -hmm. and I'm yeah. not a product. And it's not a service of the company that I'm trying to ask Siri about. It's a service of Apple. And Alexa is a service of Amazon. And what I find about those things, those home assistants, they have their cuteness to them. But if you They're actually stupid. try to use them for something productive and, in fact, to buy a service and maybe some company that you're dealing with has, uh, you know, uh, taught Alexa to do certain things. And now they're all proud of the fact that you can ask Alexa to use their product. And then you ask Alexa to do something and perhaps she doesn't quite understand you and does something different. And you find yourself arguing with Alexa or Siri. That's it. And getting angry at the company that you're trying to do business with rather than getting angry at Apple or, or, or Amazon. So it's interesting that you brought that up. But I am not a fan of those devices. Maybe someday they'll be perfect and it could be like in Star Trek where you just start talking and things happen. <laughs> That'd be great. Uh, eventually we'll get there. This is like, the yeah, we're not, we're nowhere close to being there yet. We're right nowhere, now nowhere close. They're, so, they're yeah. stupid right now. So. Exactly. I don't have one of those. Uh, on a couple of occasions, I've tried doing it while driving, forgetting directions, and I find myself screaming at Siri. No. But, you know, you mentioned cars. It's like, you know, I, I drive a Tesla and it's like, and, you know, we get software updates like every, every month or whatever. It's like Christmas. 
because yeah. now your car can do something new that it couldn't do before. It's, yeah. it's, it's Well, you're at the far end of that spectrum and it's wonderful. I, I have friends with Teslas. I don't have one myself, but you're actually driving an app. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's an, an integrated software hardware system. Yeah. It's an iPad on wheels. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, but it, and, and those are great examples of how digital technology becomes part of your relationship with your customers. And again, people think, wow, that's a car and I don't sell cars. It's really not hard to imagine many, many products all the way down to the consumer level. And don't forget, I'm also talking about business to business. Your product may be um, an oil pump uh, for some device in the field that you have traditionally sent trucks out to refuel and service on a regular schedule. And maybe they get out there to service the pump and they see, oh, this didn't really need service. It hasn't been running that much. And the fuel tank is full. I just wasted a truck roll. Uh, mm -hmm. We have clients now where we're instrumenting those oil pumps so they, they get on the internet and they tell you when they need fuel. Just like my car tells me when I need to put air in the tires, these oil pumps out in the middle of the desert can, can let you know they need to be serviced so you're not wasting truck rolls. Refrigerators so that is can very tell you, much a, sorry? Refrigerators can tell you that you need milk. Well, you know, and I, that's another one that I find a, a bit of hyperbole that you know, yeah. will probably never yet. be practical. Mm -hmm. uh, conceptually, yes, that's, that's you know, part of the whole relationship um, with your product. But there again, you're having a relationship with your refrigerator that's trying to anticipate your needs for other products. And there's, there's a whole world of that sort of thing going on. And, and there's lots of people doing lots of work out there. Uh, but I'm more interested in how the product itself, uh, and you know, I don't know that a container of milk will ever tell me it needs to be refilled. That's, that's probably a bit extreme. Um, but yes, you can very much have things like, and there may be ways of having those refrigerators participate a little more closely with the products that you put in them so you're not getting all kinds of weird data. The last thing you want to do is get an endless stream of reports from your refrigerator saying you're out of this, you're out of, yeah, I know, I know, I know. That, that becomes, Unless you're living with somebody who leaves a tablespoon of milk in the jug oh, yeah. and throws oh, it back in there, oh, which is... Yeah. But that's, a, that's more of a behavioral issue, and that, that's a subject <laughs> yeah, for one of your is. other guests, I think. I just, <laughs> somebody talking about drama in the workplace, and the same thing goes in the household. Is I, I have situations like that where you know, a young man in the household always puts the, uh, the box of cereal back with 12 flakes in it because oh, yeah. he knows that exactly. if he finishes it, then he has to actually recycle the box and throw it, and he doesn't want to do that. Oh, the humanity. Uh, or he doesn't yeah. want to admit the fact that he ate the whole freaking box. <laughs> or that. And I don't think digital technology is going to say, solve that problem. <laughs> so what, do, uh, what about service-based businesses? Maybe it's a, a one-off service that you provide. Maybe it's a, a subscription service or a membership service, whether you've got a club or, or you know, a fitness center or a hair salon where you want your customers coming back regularly or any kind of a business where you expect repeat visits or repeat activity or even better where you expect your customers to pay you monthly for the privilege of being part of whatever your service is your responsibility for maintaining that relationship is huge and it has changed again because of the nature of the way the industry has changed the nature of the way technology has changed all of your competitors and not just your competitors but similar businesses to yours who are doing a good job of taking care of your service customers or your membership, that's causing your membership to then demand of you a similar level of service. Well, I don't understand why, you know, I don't get all this value from you because I get all that value from this other thing that I'm a member of. Uh, and, and when you have times like this, where now you can't physically interact with your customers, uh, which is, is just, 
brutal for service businesses. You have to ask yourself, how can I maintain that relationship with these people until I do get to see them again? That's particularly challenging in membership-based businesses, most of whom have done the right thing by their customers and sent out emails saying, we're suspending your, your membership, or you're not gonna pay anything while you're not being able to come into the gym or to the wherever. Um, but you can't just send that email saying, so we'll see you when this is all over, okay? Mm -hmm. Because you want them to not cancel that membership, you want them to be excited when that membership gets renewed again, so you're forced to now project things to them. And you're seeing this all over the place from dance studios offering classes. One of our biggest clients is a national fitness chain. They're of course doing workout classes and they've got celebrity guests doing workouts and they're pushing all this value digitally to their membership in the hope that their members will continue to identify with their brand, identify with their service, want to be part of it and return to that membership activity when the world comes back together. Um, and well, yeah. and now is the time for service-based businesses or whatever, like that you can really stand out by providing new value and new insights. And, uh, you know, during this, during the whole coronavirus thing or, or the aftermath of it, because if you have people wherever that are sitting on their hands or whatever, it's like, well, you know, hey, there's nothing I can do about it. I'm just going to wait it out. Right. That, that sort of thing. It's like, you know, retool your content, retool your service. You know, retool your, your interactions with, with, with customers or whatever, you know, and, and adapt very quickly then to the changes that have happened, you know, to the entire world because of this virus. And I think if you do that, then as a service-based business, you really stand out and you build a lot of goodwill that will carry forward. Then even once things are done, uh, that you'll definitely have a leg up. Absolutely. That's, it, it's so true. And, and as I said earlier, we were being pushed in this direction anyway. This has just been a massive accelerant. Now, a, a lot of people have you know, quickly figured out and to their credit, okay, I can get a Zoom account, I can do this, I can start doing this and start at least reminding people that we are here and trying to provide some value. Um, but you've got to take that to the next step, as you just said, to say, well, how can I turn this kind of a relationship into a permanent component of my overall relationship with my members or you know, with my service customers? Uh, what can I offer here that they will want even after it's possible for them to come into my shop or come into my gym or, or interact with me physically? How do I extend that relationship? Because then what happens is, um, you know, your members aren't only thinking about you when they're in your building, they're thinking about you when they're at home and they're, they're, you're on mm -hmm. their phone or you're on their iPad, or they're thinking about you when they're sitting in an airport killing time and they think, oh, I wonder what those guys are doing today because every week they have something new here. Uh, so even when they're I can't go about into you, their shop. They're thinking about you when they want to think about you, not when you want them to think about you. Exactly. And that's, that's the direction digital technology has been pushing everybody. You have to be there for your customers when they want you, not mm -hmm. when you're ready for them. So a wider net, be more present more often in different new ways, it sounds like. Yes. And be more present and think about how you can offer value to these people's lives outside of when they're in their, your shop. And, and We've seen tons of examples of this, and it's all great. You know, liquor stores providing uh, lessons on mixology, th things that keep that relationship going. And that all revolves around keeping over these 
what we call omni-channel communications with your customers. You're there on the web, you're there on their phone, you're there in their tablets, and you're there in their car. You're there wherever they might think about interacting with you. And it seems daunting, and it does turn into a fair amount of work for the, the service providers to remember all these different channels and to know that they really should be providing this value on the web, and they really should be providing this value in the store. And it, it overlaps because you can have an electronic kiosk in your facility so that when somebody walks through your physical doors, they can tap into their digital relationship with you. Because maybe they started something at home, and, and I, could, I could list 100 different variations and examples here, but maybe they started some project at home and then they walk in your store and they want to you know, pick it up there and say, yeah, this is what I'm doing here and I had this design for this thing that you posted and I'm trying to do that and I need these components. And then you have that interaction continue right into the store and then back home again when you finish up. It hopefully. needs to be a seamless experience. Mm -hmm. Hopefully it'll scan your forehead then to take your temperature before you actually go into the store. Well, you know, <laughs> and you know what? God bless the people who are building things just like that. There's, mm -hmm. there's companies in the industry rallying around the need. Uh, I just read a paper yesterday about somebody building exactly that uh, device that would be at the, the doorway to a store, just like a security camera or, or a package scanner that would be reading body temperatures they come in. We've, we've got customers who do that sort of thing. It already and, has uh, those little things at the door that go, that go woo woo whenever yeah. you try to shoplift, you know. Yeah. So it's like, you know, take your temperature too, why not? Yeah. But like when, the, when those go off though, prior to the pandemic, nobody would pay attention when they went off. Eh, eh. But yeah. I'll tell you, when they go off, if you're taking temperatures, people will definitely. Well, yeah, because yeah. it's also, it's a question of relative value. They go off when somebody's leaving your TJ Maxx and, you know, maybe mm -hmm. they've got a, a pair of sweatpants in there they didn't pay for. If they go off when somebody's coming into the TJ Maxx, it's going to get a lot more attention. Well, We've got about two minutes left, Frank. So give us experience-based. You're on fire. This is the fastest <laughs> 20 minutes in the world. Um, experience-based businesses. I know some of our listeners might have those. So tips, yeah, quick and, tips boy, for them. You know, my heart goes out to this yeah. particular industry. I happen to have a background in theater. Um, mm -hmm. the, the theaters are all dark. The actors aren't on stage. The musicians aren't in the pit. Uh, my heart really goes out to that industry. I don't know when people are going to be comfortable going back into those. Uh, obviously we have the opportunity to provide value to, uh, audiences for entertainment digitally. It's a little hard for a theater company really to do that. It's hard mm -hmm. for a dance company to do that, but you can keep that relationship open. There's an art house cinema in my town. that's doing a wonderful job of providing curated movie selections on their website. So, um, instead of browsing through Netflix for an hour and a half, only to throw your hands up and rewatch an episode of the West Wing, uh, you can go to them and they will have chosen what they think is a classic movie you should watch that you've never heard of. And by God, it's great. So they're, they're, they're trying. Um, restaurants, they're going into you know, delivery, of course. But so we have a whole line of business about supporting scheduled meal delivery services where you can subscribe to a kitchen and you'll, you know, you'll lay out your menu for the week and they'll deliver prepared food to you. We've got now restaurants interested in, in purchasing that software from us to turn their kitchens into a subscription-based service. Uh, some of them may learn that it's better just to have a kitchen that generates meals for delivery and not bother with the front of the house. Others who really love the restaurant business may see that a hybrid will help where you know, once they can start bringing people into the front of the house, we know they're going to be spaced far apart. A 130-seat dining room may turn into a 30-seat dining room. Um, these restaurants are going to have to find a way to keep the revenue flowing. So 
delivery, of course, is an option. The, the mechanism that existed before this of, you know, you go to their website, you read their menu, you call up DoorDash or Uber Eats and it gets picked up and Uber Eats takes a slice and, and it's all very inefficient is, is not as, as lucrative for the restaurant if, than if I dealt directly with them and mm-hmm. said, here's what I'd like on Monday, here's what I'd like on Wednesday, and here's what I'd like on Friday. And you can go ahead and do this every week yeah. of the month until I change my menu. That's a I'm, whole I'm, new avenue for them. I think the restaurant should have meal plans like in college. Well, you know, and there, there's something to that. But what's interesting based. is there's an enormous population of people who are uncomfortable with their own kitchens and have been sort of struggling and you know, finding these store shelves empty and they're just not comfortable making their own food. So they're, they're, they're going out there and using these delivery services and it's great, but um, it is better to have a subscription than to just do meals on demand. If a restaurant knows they've got a hundred different customers who pre-ordered three weeks worth of meals. They can plan for that. They can shop for that. They can adjust their menus to be able to, you know, inventory the right kinds of foods. It, it, it's a whole different business model. It's one that was building up anyway. There's a concept of ghost kitchens where kitchens would represent basically non-existent restaurants. There'd be no actual physical restaurant. Just Wild kitchens. Uh, <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, actually they call them ghost kitchens. Um, but it is very possible for a restaurant to kind of work its way back to, to um, you know, fiscal viability by doing something like this. And we are getting a lot of interest in restaurants at our, our meal, it's called meal track, our meals planning software, uh, turning their kitchens into partial subscription kitchens. Subscription revenue is everybody's holy grail, right? We, we all want customers to sign up and promise to pay us a certain amount every month forever. Uh, software has turned into subscriptions. Memberships have turned into different forms of subscriptions. This is a way for restaurants to do that. Um, and, well, I was going to say, and I was going to pivot to saying these are all great ideas. And if you want Frank's help in instituting some of them, the website for Frank and his team is avi.com. And then your Twitter. I like your Twitter, Frank. It's Frank Z underscore avi. Is that because you think people can't spell Zingini? <laughs> no, I don't want to make them type out all those, all those letters. Frank Z like pretty much well. gets it done. <laughs> yeah, but the great ideas, Frank, and I, I know our listeners, you've planted the seeds. So reach out to Frank if you guys need some help. And uh, we are so appreciative that you shared some of your thoughts today with oh, us. Oh, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed this. And I've also enjoyed all of the other interviews posted on your site. I spent about five hours listening oh, to wow. things over the last couple of days. Fantastic. And, uh, you had some terrific guests and uh, I really appreciate your work. And now we have one more. One more. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Very good, sir. Thanks, Frank. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend on iTunes, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more great information at salesfuel.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.